Will Gary Gensler be subpoenaed by Congress before the end of 2024? Welcome back. This episode is all about the battle that appears to be taking place between pro and anti-crypto members of the current administration. It also assesses the chances of Gary Gensler who is chair of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC for short, getting subpoenaed by the end of 2024. One specific aspect of this battle that we intend to explore is the recent standoff between Gensler and members of the House Financial Services Committee. Gensler was relentlessly grilled during an oversight hearing of the SEC, which took place on September 27, 2023. Although the hearing was several hours long, we will only feature audio clips that help us assess the chances of Gensler getting subpoenaed. Each congressman was given five minutes to ask questions. Let's start with a clip that features Gensler being accused by Senator McHenry of the following. 1. Taking a reckless approach to rulemaking. 2. Having a disregard for capital formation. 3. Actively crusading against digital assets. And 4. Being unresponsive to Congress. Gentleman yields back. Uh, we'll now recognize myself for five minutes. Uh, Chair Gensler, last time we were here, uh, I asked you about Ether. Uh, in 2018, you say that Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash are not securities. Um, so I want to focus today on Bitcoin. Uh, why do you believe Bitcoin is not a security? Um, thank you, uh, Chair. And I think you're referencing uh, remarks I made as a professor at MIT. Um, uh, and as I wrote in that paper at that time, uh, it was really about something called the Howey test. And the Supreme Court, it's the law of the land, talks about if there's the public is anticipating a profit based on the efforts of others. Uh, and as I think I noted in that paper back in 2018, uh, I didn't see that uh, Bitcoin but met But your that. view on Bitcoin, you've, you've made comments on this. You believe Bitcoin is, is not a security. Is that true? Well, I think the staff of the SEC have also, uh, and the prior well, chair. I'm just asking you this question, and this is not a gotcha. I thought there's going to be an easy softball into harder questions. Do you think Bitcoin is a security? I think I've said this in the past that I think that it doesn't I'm asking you to Howie answer test. my question now. This is not supposed to be hard. I know. I said Just it does not meet the Howey test, which is the, the okay. law of the land about being so an investment So it doesn't meet the Howey test. So therefore, it's a commodity. Is that fair? I, I, I would say it's not a security, and then the test is otherwise for other okay. uh, laws. Well, the CFTC says they don't have the authority. Uh, uh, over uh, Bitcoin uh, and digital uh, commodities. Uh, do you think uh, legislation is necessary to protect consumers uh, in the world of digital assets, in particular, uh, given that gap around just Bitcoin? I, I think, as I've testified here in this committee room four years ago as a private citizen, that there, that for the parts of the crypto ecosystem that are not securities, Though, under the Commodities Exchange Act, the CFTC has some anti-fraud authorities, they don't have what's called plenary authority to write rules around that. And as I've said in the past, uh, I've been supportive of our sister agency, if I can say that, an agency that I once was honored to chair and I like quite a bit, uh, uh, doesn't have that plenary authority. And if Congress moved forward on that, that could help them. So uh, spot market, the spot market lacks a regulatory paradigm and 
uh, established uh, established law. Uh, so should should we take action there? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not sure I follow the U.S. stock market. You're talking about the securities. No, market? the CFTC. I'm continuing with your answer. My follow-up there was because there's not a regulatory remit that Congress has given them, clear regulatory remit, we should step in. So let me just move on. Um, you've, uh, I've talked about your noncompliance um, with document requests made by this committee. You believe the commission must vote in order to uh, produce non-public information to this committee. Do you not? Uh, under the uh, Exchange Act, I do believe that the commission okay. needs so, that vote. Uh, have you scheduled a vote necessary to provide the non-public documents to this committee? We, uh, I, I think, uh, have been working with your staff and believe in, in oversight of this committee. We've provided somewhere over 40,000 pages yes, of nothing, documents. Yes, nothing, as I said in my opening statement, nothing that was non-public did you provide. In fact, you produced one of the letters that we wrote to you as responsive documents. It showed the absurdity of it. Um, so the general counsel's office has indicated to my staff that after a 10-week review process, uh, these documents are ready to be transmitted. It just needs a vote. When do you intend to schedule that vote? We continue to work with you and your staff. We've had uh, the commission has approved that some senior staff will be uh, taking transcribed interviews, I think, with your staff, and we. But that is not that. responsive to my document requests. We can this should not be the hard work of a chairman to answer these questions. You have 30 major rulemakings, but you won't even provide basic documents to us. Your unresponsiveness is non-compliance, and we'll have to take action if you're not willing to comply. You have a 10-week review process, and you've not provided documents. Furthermore, you haven't even done the economic analysis of your interplay of these major rulemakings that are going to affect anybody who owns a stock, bond, or any type of security. Um, and so you've got serious questions to answer to the public and to Congress, and we intend to get your compliance. We can do it the easy way or the hard way. And with that, I yield back. The ranking member is now recognized for five minutes. After McHenry's blistering dressing down, the next most interesting exchange was between Gensler and Majority Whip Tom Emmer who raised several concerns about Gensler's approach to regulating digital assets. He also questioned his impartiality. Minnesota, the Whip, Mr. Emmer, is now recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Chair Gensler, I have a series of uh, questions that require a yes or no answer, and in the interest of my limited time, I'd appreciate it if you would comply with that. Uh, Mr. Gensler, is it fair to say generally that large institutions in any given industry benefit more from regulatory uncertainty than everyday market participants or smaller institutions who don't have the scale or the capital to fund expensive compliance teams? Uh, large institutions could benefit uh, from uncertainty. Reclaiming my time. The answer is yes, sir. Mr. Gensler, you had an 18-year career at Goldman Sachs where you were partner and co-head of finance, correct? Yes, sir. Thank you. And is it correct to say that you made most of your personal wealth directly through your employment at this bank, Goldman Sachs? Um, I've done well since then, too, sir. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes as well. You described the SEC under your leadership as the cop on the beat watching out for our constituents. Constituents, correct? I think that's a mandate that Congress Yeah, and has I think you've us. said that, reclaiming my time. The answer is yes, sir. If you could just comply with what I've asked, I'd appreciate it. 
But given your 18-year career at one of the biggest banks in the world and the personal financial fortune you amassed there, do you think it's possible for you to serve as an impartial regulator and not favor large financial intermediaries? Absolutely, sir. Well, Mr. Gensler, do you believe the vast majority of digital assets meet the investment contract test and are therefore securities operating illegally outside of the U.S. regulatory umbrella? As I've said, many of these assets are basically the public is anticipating Sir, profits is that a based yes? on the efforts of others. Is the answer then yes? Uh, again, without prejudging anyone, I do think that the significant Reclaiming majority my time. are I'll take it as a yes. Contracts. And to be clear, sir, this perspective has nothing to do with a concern you noted in a speech last year where you said, quote, over the past year, several bank executives have shared their concerns with me about the sheer number of depositors who have moved money from their bank accounts into crypto-related exchanges and wallets, end quote, right? The concern that those bank executives raised was that there's Again, I, customers my time, were sir. getting no, hurt. I've asked market. you to answer the questions as short as I can so I can use the time I have, and it's clear that you would like to avoid answering the questions, in my opinion. An Obama-appointed judge in the Southern District of New York, a bank-friendly jurisdiction where you bring most of your cases, recently found that decentralized financial technology, quote, not only removes the so-called middlemen from these transactions, but it also allows users to interact through a variety of methods in an easy and efficient manner, end quote. The court also said underwriters, like the ones at banks where you work, sir, are, quote, precisely, precisely the types of individual roles that decentralized exchanges were designed to eliminate, end quote. Mr. Gensler, can you assure this committee that your style of regulation by harassment towards digital asset innovation is to the benefit of every American and not driven by your desires to protect industry incumbents? This is a field that's rife with fraud and manipulation, and I'm, I'm looking out for the American investors who've been hurt by the crypto. Yeah. I'll, I'll reclaim my time. Scammers. Mr. Gensler, despite your years of rhetoric, like today, I'm convinced you are not an impartial regulator. Instead, it's clear that you are working to consolidate your own power, even though it means crushing opportunities for everyday Americans and, frankly, the financial future of this country. Even the federal courts are highlighting the damage you, sir, are doing to our constituents, and they're telling you that you don't have the legal authority to accomplish your goal of squashing competition in the financial markets. Congress has been telling you that, too. Now, Mr. Gensler, I believe our great financial system is the definition of freedom in this country, and congressional policies must provide room for the traditional financial system to evolve alongside the disruptive digital asset ecosystem. That said, it cannot be understated that a common theme throughout your career, sir, is your relentless loyalty to the largest financial institutions at the clear expense of innovation, competition, and everyday Americans. I yield back. I suspect some large financial institutions would not agree back. with that. There's no question, uh, sir. I've yield back my time. Another segment of the hearing we wanted to feature was a question put to Gensler by New York Representative Richie Torres. He asked if a Pokemon card is a security. Gensler replied no, but he did not give a definitive answer when asked if a tokenized Pokemon card could be classified as a security. Can I, can I ask, suppose I were to purchase a Pokemon card, would doing so constitute a security transaction? You can purchase a Pokemon card. It's, I, I don't know what the context is, but if you're okay. just purchasing a Pokemon card. If I purchase a Pokemon at, card, is that a, a security transaction? Store, that's not a security. Okay. If I were to purchase a tokenized Pokemon card, 
on a digital exchange via a blockchain, is that a security transaction? I'd have to know more. Okay, so, so for you, the process of tokenization is what transforms a non-security transaction said, into a security it, it, transaction? Look, it, if, if the investing I thought public, you were technology neutral. If the investing public is anticipating profits based upon the efforts of others and they're exchanging funds, that's the core. I see my time has expired, so. Another interaction that we wanted to include in full was between Congressman Warren Davidson and Gensler. He essentially accused Gensler of abusing his authority and said he wished the current administration would fire him. He then went on to say that he hoped Gensler would be removed as a result of the SEC Stabilization Act. Gentleman from Ohio, Mr. Davidson, for five minutes. Uh, Chairman Gensler, recently a federal court called your rejection of a Bitcoin ETF, quote, arbitrary and capricious. In a subsequent interview, you dismissed the judge's opinion, asked a follow-up question, uh, if anything a judge says would change your mind, you responded, quote, well, no, not really. It seems that you don't really recognize the authority of the judicial branch. You seem to have a love for the Howey test, selectively applied as illustrated by Mr. Torres. But, you know, in light of those reactions, you know, what should people make about uh, the Bitcoin ETF? How will the SEC revise its approach? Uh, we have great respect for the courts. I personally have great respect for the courts. We're considering that it's still an active consideration at the commission. And so you haven't made up your mind. I, I got to tell you, familiar with the case. Yeah, I, I got to tell you that that many market participants have reached out and and are concerned that you will arbitrarily, perhaps also capriciously, pull recent filings ahead of others who've been working with the SEC for years to get an approval for a Bitcoin spot ETF. Um, will this resemble some sort of free pass for one favored company while others remain locked out? And I ask that because it seems that's happened before at the SEC. Um, sir, I'm not sure if I'm following. I mean, we're still considering that court case and, and the application, as you say, to Bitcoin exchange traded products. Are you gonna preserve people's place in line or are you gonna pull ahead uh, a favored transaction or another on uh, the consideration of a Bitcoin spot ETF? Are you going to preserve the place in the queue? Because timing matters. People have worked on this for years, and then you get a recent filing by somebody big in the market, and it seems like, oh, yeah, let me take your calls. How can I help? Uh, meanwhile, you've given the stiff arm, as I've said, Hotel California-style regulations where you can check in with the SEC, but you can never leave. Never leave with clarity. Uh, you know, and. How about the legislative branch? Do you recognize the authority of Congress or the laws that we pass? Yes, we comply with the laws that Congress passes every day. Well, I've heard you say that about the courts and now Congress, which is encouraging, but I am inclined to judge your deeds more than your words. And, uh, you know, I'll pick up where one of my colleagues, Mr. Heisinga, left off with the Supreme Court decision in West Virginia versus the EPA. Are you familiar with that case? Uh, yes, sir. I'm familiar. It's an important case. Glad to hear you say that. And it would be binding, correct? It's the law of the land, sir. That's right. And it, it introduces the major questions doctrine. And you told Mr. Barr that you received tons of feedback on your proposed ESG disclosure rules, uh, feedback that should make clear that the proposal for ESG disclosure is a major question. And it should make clear that you don't have the legal authority to do that. So I'd ask you to knock it off, cease and desist, and work with this body to pass a law if you want to regulate something. You know, frankly, your time as chairman 
has highlighted two problems, a Gary Gensler problem and a structural flaw in the SEC. And as I told you in April, I proposed a solution called the SEC Stabilization Act. Uh, you're, you're making the case for this bill easier every day you are acting as the chairman uh, by doing rulemaking after rulemaking without any regard to the impact of these rules, or maybe that's the feature for you, I don't know. Um, but it's having a massive impact on our markets. I mean, we have markets that truly are the envy of the world, and why would you disrupt them um, you know, with, with processes that are driving capital out of our markets? Not because to avoid our laws, but to find some place where they can get clarity, where they can work with a regulator and get a decision and a path forward. So instead of selectively applied, you, you are short, you're not providing clarity with a rule that's evenly applied. You're intentionally shortened comment periods to limit feedback. And the courts have even called this arbitrary and capricious. You're pushing a, a woke political and social agenda, and I think abusing your role in the authority of the SEC uh, as cover. So, uh, you know, I think fundamentally, uh, the SEC Stabilization Act would remove the role of chairman, uh, it would preserve uh, the current commissioners, but it would add a, a, a sixth commissioner. So there would be uh, no more than three from any one political party, and so that would provide a path that would make the SEC do what you're avoiding. Frankly, you're front-running Congress, you're front-running the courts, you're front-running even the own administration, and no one has held you to account for that. I mean, I wish the Biden administration would say you're fired, uh, but their the list of folks they need to do that for is long. Congress hopefully will with the SEC Stabilization Act. I yield. This interview with Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, took place during the hearing. SEC Chair Gensler is speaking of, is testifying right now on Capitol Hill before the House Financial Services Committee. Uh, he seems to be reiterating much of what he said in the past, that the industry is rife with non-compliance. We're here, we're here talking about um, Stand With Crypto. We've got the pins. People can check out standwithcrypto.org and sign up if they want to be a crypto advocate. I think there's a general consensus and understanding from both sides of the aisle that this is an important issue. The SEC has just been on this path of regulation by enforcement or harassment, if you will, where every startup in the space gets a subpoena or a Wells notice, and, and that's not sustainable and it's not okay. There's a lot of people in Congress that are unhappy with his approach. We will now consider if there's any evidence to support claims that influential groups have a hidden agenda and are colluding to disrupt the crypto industry. According to some industry insiders, a secret initiative is being undertaken by some politicians and regulators to carry out something called Operation Choke Point 2.0 that aims to hinder or even deny crypto businesses access to banking facilities. Operation Choke Point refers to a program that started back in 2013 under the Obama administration. It was led by the Department of Justice and bank regulators to crack down on businesses like payday lenders, firearms dealers, and payment processors for industries the government considered unsavory or prone to illegal activity. But it became controversial because it pressured banks to cut off finances to entire industries without solid evidence of wrongdoing. Operation Choke Point eventually ended in 2017 after facing backlash for overreach and lack of due process. But now there are signs that regulators may be using similar tactics against companies operating in the crypto space, hence Operation Choke Point 2.0. This claim has been voiced by exchanges such as Coinbase, which offers a variety of services including on- and off-ramps that enable crypto to be exchanged for fiat currencies such as dollars and euros and vice versa. 
We will now consider why regulators are so concerned about crypto. We will then look at what evidence there is to support claims that Operation Choke.2.0 is real and what implications that might have on the crypto industry. And stick around to the end to find out if we think Gensler will be subpoenaed by Congress. Before we continue I'd just like to remind you to subscribe and share our podcast with anyone who you think might be interested in hearing about the topics we cover. It really helps us grow our audience so we can create more content that our listeners will hopefully enjoy and benefit from. So why are regulators so worried about cryptocurrency? Well it appears there are many reasons, but these are the main ones. Firstly, crypto by nature tends to be decentralized and anonymizing, making it hard to track compared to traditional finance. That opens the door to illegal activities like money laundering, which is a big concern for law enforcement. Cryptocurrencies also operate outside the established financial system. That makes them harder to control and could undermine the dollar over time if adoption grew, which the Fed and Treasury Department may consider as a threat to the global dominance of the US dollar. Additionally, regulators like the SEC think many cryptocurrencies resemble unregistered securities that should be subject to investor protection. Stable coins in particular have drawn scrutiny, as they are concerned about potential risks they pose to the stability of the financial system. The Biden administration has signaled that it wants to impose more oversight on this industry. Back in March 2023, the president issued an executive order directing agencies across government to come up with recommendations to regulate cryptocurrencies more strictly. The Treasury and Federal Reserve have also repeatedly called for Congress to pass legislation that would apply more robust regulation to the crypto market. And the SEC has really taken an aggressive stance recently. Under Gensler, they've argued that most cryptocurrencies look like securities that should be registered with the SEC. They've already gone after crypto lending platforms and issuers of certain tokens. Other regulators like the OCC have also advised banks to be very cautious about engaging with cryptocurrency. And legislation is in the works in Congress that could make KYC and anti-money laundering rules even tougher for exchanges. It is important to note that there is no firm evidence that the U.S. government is targeting the crypto industry with a coordinated program. But there appears to be growing circumstantial evidence that this is indeed the case based on the following accounts. The CEO of Custodia Bank Caitlin Long said during a recent interview that there is a concerted coordinated political effort to deplatform crypto from the banking system that is being undertaken by factions from within the White House. Nick Carter coined the phrase, I believe, Operation Choke Point 2.0, and we're saying that there is a concerted effort to cut the crypto sector off from the traditional banking system. So for our viewers that are not familiar, give us a little bit more of a background on, on what is happening there. We knew it was real from January 27th, actually January 25th or 26th, one of those days, we got an email from a reporter who had been leaked um, the information that all of the applications at the Federal Reserve and the OCC, the, the U.S. federal bank regulator that had anything to do with the digital asset industry were being asked to be withdrawn at the same time. And so we knew that it was a coordinated effort from the very get-go. We had the receipt, so to speak, because we had it in email. We heard from uh, the CEO of Circle yesterday here at the conference, Jeremy Allaire, saying that 5,000 crypto institutions, I believe, have yeah. been debanked. So, so give us a sense of the size and scope of this problem. It's pretty much industry-wide. To your point, they decided to throw the baby out with the bathwater and try to kill the industry 
the White House staff in the Biden administration, I'm told, I can't prove this, but I've been told now from multiple people, we're at a, in a civil war with each other. And uh, about 18 months ago, there was a presidential executive order that came out that was fairly positive. Back then, the pro-crypto team was winning. Then came FTX, and then the anti-crypto team won. Here's Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, talking on a panel at the All-In Summit. He explains that he believes regulators are overreaching and operating outside the remit of Congress. It does not mean that the industry should be outlawed. And the, one of the really dangerous things that's happening is that, you know, the Constitution says that Congress creates the laws. What's happened sort of is that we've created these agencies. Um, they are de facto creating laws. You know, other industries like in the FDA, if the FDA puts out a guidance letter and you don't like it, what, what's, what are you going to do? It's a de facto law. And so there's an interesting constitutional argument around this of like, is the administrative state overreaching? And I think we've seen that in this example with the SEC. Um, unfortunately, we have a regulator, um, the chair of the SEC, who's kind of weaponized the agency for his own political purposes. Gary Gensler. Right, along with Elizabeth Warren, who they just don't want crypto to exist in the United States. I think what their true intention or belief is behind the scenes, and I'm speculating a little bit here, is they just don't want it to exist. And so they're trying to cast a shadow over the whole industry to make it difficult. They're just sending subpoenas and Wells notices. Why don't they want it to exist? Why? I believe it's because, um, and again, this is just me speculating a little bit. I think it's because they don't want to lose power. They, they think the government should run financial services. They have their hooks into the big banks. They can pressure the big banks to close accounts on, in, you know, if you have the wrong political opinion or you have the, you're in the wrong industry. You're in they want to be able to pressure companies because they can't get it done through Congress. They want to pressure it through the big banks. This view is echoed by the D.C. law firm, Cooper & Kirk. Quote, the federal bank regulators are waging a clandestine financial war against the cryptocurrency industry. The, the evidence of backroom coercion is only beginning to emerge. End quote. Next up, Brian Brooks, former acting head of the office of the Comptroller of the Currency. Everyone eventually will just leave the U.S. Or what, what of the situation of on and off ramps in the United States for banks and crypto institutions? Yeah, I mean, look, my, my guess is that there's when you have demand that is as strong as it is, there will always be smaller banks that are willing to step up and try to risk manage this. So, you know, you get rid of Signature Bank and you have Customers Bank and you get rid of Customers Bank and then you have Coastal Com. I mean, there's always somebody who's going to serve this because there's a demand and crypto's not unlawful. Um, the question then becomes, you know, how quickly and how how committedly is the is the administration going to go after every single last one of those, and how will they answer to the 50 million customers who are looking for fiat on and off ramps? Um, my belief is that they're trying to send a signal that will eventually choke this off. That's again what Operation Choke Point was, but you can't, you know, you can't kill all of the uh, all of the animals in the zoo at some point. So my belief is there will always be somebody serving it. It'd be better if larger banks with better risk management were serving the sector. But if they don't, there will be somebody doing that. And uh, hopefully over time, as the asset class matures, you know, people will get comfortable with that. Let's now enter the realm of conspiracy theory and wild speculation for a moment and consider if there's any truth to the claim that the sudden unraveling of the infamous FTX crypto exchange that collapsed in November 2022 was part of a nefarious government plan to destroy or at least heavily disrupt the crypto industry. Here's a short segment taken from a documentary by Cold Fusion TV for anyone who's unfamiliar with the FTX case. The 30-year-old Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of FTX, the second largest crypto exchange in the world, 
He was the golden boy on the cover of Fortune and Forbes magazine. He had a net worth of $26 billion, watched the Super Bowl with NBA star Steph Curry, had dinner with Sia, Jeff Bezos, and Leonardo DiCaprio. Big names like BlackRock and SoftBank invested in his vision. But behind the facade was something completely different. Sam's empire was actually a bunch of 10 romantically involved crypto kids running a shady operation out of the Bahamas. The fall of FTX triggered the collapse of more than 100 affiliated companies and wiped out countless savings. This story has strange but very real ties to American politics, the war in Ukraine, and Enron. It has the intensity of Theranos, but with a collapse as rapid as Lehman Brothers. This is the wild story of the fall of FTX. First off, the timing of events does look suspicious. One could argue that as the crackdown happened so quickly after FTX's demise that it wouldn't be entirely crazy to think that it might have been premeditated. Of course it is possible that the timing was coincidental, but the sudden fall of FTX could have been used as the ideal excuse by regulators to crush the crypto industry. But were their actions opportunistic or was this entire episode orchestrated in some way? The conspiracy theory that has been circulating is that FTX was set up by entities linked to state regulators working for the SEC as an excuse to increase cryptocurrency regulation. Proponents of the theory believe that FTX was set up as a honeypot to attract a large number of retail investors, and then intentionally collapsed the organization in the most high-profile and scandalous way in order to obtain as much press attention as possible. This would then lead to a loss of confidence in the cryptocurrency industry and allow the SEC to justify stricter regulation of cryptocurrency. It is important that we state that at the present time there is no firm evidence to support this conspiracy theory. However, the theory has gained traction, particularly among those who lost money as a result of FTX's demise. Many have turned to social media to vent their anger and frustration and share their belief that FTX colluded with members of the Democratic Party and government regulators. Some also claim that the mainstream media should be held accountable for unquestionably placing Sam Bankman-Fried, CEO and founder of FTX who we will refer to as SBF on a pedestal. He was invited to join government think tanks and was regularly invited to speak about topics relating to the crypto industry by almost all of the most popular financial news stations. He was basically given a platform which enabled him to appear to be some kind of virtuous genius who only wanted to generate wealth so he could use it to do good in the world. Again, we would like to state for the record that there is no clear evidence that Gensler or the SEC were directly or indirectly responsible for FTX's collapse, but it is true that Gensler has family ties with SBF. Gensler's wife, Jane Fisher Gensler, is a professor at Stanford Law School, where she taught SBF's parents, Joseph Bankman and Barbara Freed. Gensler himself is a Stanford graduate, and he has served on the university's board of trustees. In addition, there is speculation that Gensler had a close relationship with SBF as the two men met on multiple occasions. Furthermore, SBF donated to Gensler's political campaigns. He also allegedly donated billions of dollars to support the Biden administration in order to secure regulatory favor by becoming one of the Democrats' largest donors in history. However, that alone does not imply any unethical collusion. Unless substantive proof emerges of inappropriate relationships, or actions, it would be irresponsible to make accusations against Gensler or the SEC regarding FTX. It will however be interesting if Congress gets Gensler to reveal more about his connections with SBF either voluntarily or via subpoena as according to them he has been less than transparent with regards to his involvement with the Bankman Freeds thus far. But we will cover that in more depth later in this episode. Assuming it is real, let's now consider the potential implications of Operation Choke Point 2.0 
Let's, let's start by running a worst-case scenario from the perspective of the crypto industry, a total ban. In the unlikely event that a formal ban was enacted through legislation, it would be announced by the President of the United States after it had been passed by both houses of Congress and signed into law. If the ban is enacted through regulation, it will be announced by the relevant regulatory agency, such as the SEC or the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. First, you would see the Treasury and FinCEN enforce strict know-your-customer and anti-money laundering rules at exchanges. This could require onerous identity verification and make it impossible to use cryptocurrency anonymously. The SEC would ban retail investors from being able to trade cryptocurrencies that they deem to be unregistered securities. Currently that appears to be every type of coin and token with the possible exception of Bitcoin. Lawmakers in Congress would pass legislation banning self-hosted wallets, meaning you'd have to keep crypto on exchanges so that regulators could have total visibility. Algorithmic stablecoins would also be banned as regulators don't like stablecoins acting like money. Finally, we would see banks refuse to do business with cryptocurrency-focused organizations, and that would almost certainly drive them out of business. Let's just pause here for a moment and ask, do any of these theoretical actions sound familiar based on the anecdotal evidence collated previously? A full ban on simply owning cryptocurrency would be extremely difficult to implement. It would face legal challenges and require coordinated global action. As things stand a partial ban is probably the most likely outcome. In this situation the government would not explicitly ban cryptocurrency, but it would take steps that make it far more difficult to buy, sell, and trade. This could be done through regulation, taxation, or other means thereby making it far less convenient to use and less profitable. Kind of like exactly what would happen if Operation Choke.2.0 was a real initiative, even though there's no evidence to suggest it is according to the SEC. So in summary, even though there's little hard evidence we do believe Operation Choke.2.0 is real and needs to be taken seriously because if it is allowed to continue it will negatively affect the crypto industry for years to come. There is no way of knowing who or what might be behind this theoretical attack on the crypto industry. Perhaps it is large powerful incumbents that are using their influence to slow progress of crypto innovation in order to play catch-up or simply down to a bunch of overzealous bureaucrats who have taken it upon themselves to go on a crusade. We'll probably never know the full story. However, the good news is, in our opinion, that they are doing this because they must believe crypto and blockchain technology is so game-changing that it has the potential to disrupt or even replace the existing financial system. Perhaps this is why governments are so fearful, and why established financial institutions are taking it so seriously. It is our guess that the leading banks are already investing substantial resources behind the scenes in order to quietly co-opt it. Maybe there's a campaign by them to use mainstream media to spread fear, uncertainty, and doubt to damage the perception of crypto so they can suppress the price and accumulate it on the cheap prior to the next bull run. Once they wrestle control away from retail investors and the Web3 startup ecosystem, they will probably attempt to legitimize the space and pump the price. Perhaps that is why incumbents such as BlackRock and Fidelity are so keen to launch spot crypto exchange-traded funds. We have seen this kind of scenario play out in the past, so it's not beyond the realms of possibility. If you are curious to know when a spot Bitcoin and Ethereum ETF might be approved by the SEC listen to our other episodes on the topic and check out our YouTube channel. Regardless, I think we can all agree that the overall result of Operation Choke.2.0 would be stifled innovation and slow progress due to a lack of regulatory clarity, intentional or not. After several years of slow progress, regulatory clarity will finally be obtained and crypto will go mainstream at which point big banks and established financial institutions will be in full control.
or at least that appears to be the intention behind Operation Choke Point 2.0. Allegedly. Anyway let's move on. As mentioned previously, an outright ban is extremely unlikely. However it is important to take some precautions. For example, store your cryptocurrency on a cold wallet as self-custody is far safer than keeping it on an exchange, providing it is legal to do so in your jurisdiction. Although this should not be taken as financial advice, we would consider diversifying our cryptocurrency portfolio and be prepared to move our cryptocurrency to a different country if necessary, as there are a number of nations that are far more pro-crypto than the USA. However, we recommend you obtain legal and financial advice before doing so. Hopefully the aforementioned outcomes can be avoided. Although the crypto industry is under siege, there are grounds for optimism. A pro-crypto initiative pioneered by Coinbase has been launched which aims to lobby the government to get pro-crypto rules and regulations passed. It also aims to spread awareness and gain support for crypto amongst the general public. There was a humorous moment during the congressional hearing when Gensler was trolled by two stand with crypto activists while he was being grilled by Senator McHenry. In 2018, you say that Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash are not securities. Why do you believe Bitcoin is not a security? Um, thank you, uh, Chair, and I think you're referencing uh, remarks I made as a professor at MIT. Um, uh, and as I wrote in that paper at that time, uh, it was really about something called the Howey test. And the Supreme Court, it's the law of the land, talks about if there's the public. In our view, politicians should be mindful that bearing down too aggressively on crypto ahead of an election may backfire, as it is growing in popularity especially among younger voters. Now it's prediction time. Do we think Gary Gensler will be subpoenaed by the end of 2024? Much will depend on what evidence is unearthed during SBF's ongoing trial, but as things stand we think it's entirely possible, and estimate there's a 55% chance. So that concludes our assessment. We will now provide you with our artificial intelligence-generated predictions and conclude this episode. You can make your own predictions on both Metaculus and Manifold or share them in the comments section below. As usual all the prediction results will be collated and made available to view on our substack. We gather predictions from as many different sources as possible and then combine them to produce an aggregated average as a percentage. Viewing our predictions on Substack is free. Just head over and search for Foresight Bureau, then subscribe for the latest results. Let's now ask ChatGPT for its prediction. It is not possible to accurately assign a percentage chance to the likelihood of Gary Gensler being subpoenaed by Congress without specific information or context regarding any particular issue or controversy. The issuance of a subpoena would depend on various factors, including the presence of a significant concern or dispute, the political climate, and the relationships between Congress and regulatory bodies like the SEC. Now let's ask Bard. The chances of Gary Gensler being subpoenaed by Congress are difficult to assess, but I would estimate them to be between 25% and 35%. There are a number of factors that could lead to Gensler being subpoenaed by Congress. Gensler has been criticized by some members of Congress for his handling of cryptocurrency regulation, and he has refused to answer some questions from Congress about his involvement with the collapse of FTX. However, there are also a number of factors that could prevent Gensler from being subpoenaed by Congress. First, Gensler is a high-ranking government official, and subpoenaing him could be seen as a challenge to the executive branch. Second, Gensler is a popular figure among Democrats, and Democrats are unlikely to subpoena him unless they believe that it is absolutely necessary. Third, Gensler has a good track record of cooperating with Congress, 
and it is possible that he will be able to avoid being subpoenaed by agreeing to testify before Congress on a voluntary basis. Finally, let's ask Claude. I apologize, but I do not feel comfortable speculating about potential misconduct or legal outcomes involving public officials, especially without established evidence. To stay up to date on this and many other predictions follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletter. Please note that all predictions referred to in this podcast are subject to change on a continuous basis. Don't forget to follow us on social media, like, share, and subscribe, and we'll return with another episode soon. Disclaimer, this content is intended for entertainment purposes only. We do not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information published. We are not responsible for any losses or damages that may arise. Nothing should be interpreted as investment or financial advice.